And so that's why we want to get into this series called The Life of Jesus. How many know that when Jesus walked this earth, he gave us an example to follow? He left an example for us. And so there's a lot to talk about when we talk about the life of Jesus. There's a lot to talk about. I mean, because he was there at the beginning. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh. He says, I am the alpha and the omega. So he'll be there when it's all over. There's a lot to unpack if you want to talk about Jesus. But I just want to frame it in the context of as uh, when he walked on earth. Okay, because that's what we're doing right now. So that's what we're going to do over the, uh, over the next number of weeks, maybe six or seven weeks. We're going to talk about the life of Jesus when he walked the earth. If you have your Bible, turn to John 14. This is our base scripture for the, the, the whole series. John 14, beginning at verse 1, says this. Jesus is speaking, and he said to us, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I'm going to get all of my offense out of the way right up front. I want to, I want to throw something else at you just real quick, but you know how God is. He'll, he'll, he'll build us back up. Don't worry. I, I, heard, I heard this phrase uh, some months ago. And uh, it really, it really struck a chord in my heart, and I don't mean in a good way. And then I heard it again a few days ago, talking to a young person. And and the the, the sentence, the phrase is, "There's no hate like Christian love." How does that make you feel? You feel a little offended. You feel a little hurt. You feel angry. Maybe frustrated. Do you feel like, oh, well, who, who does that person think they are? What do they mean? How does that make you feel when you hear the phrase, there's no hate like Christian love? I've heard it more than once. I guarantee you, I've heard it more than once. I don't know how that makes you feel. I know how it makes me feel. It does make me feel all those things a little frustrated because I'm the, I'm, I'm the kind of person that, listen, no matter what happens in the church, and we certainly have our issues, okay, because we are imperfect people. Are there hypocrites in the church? You better believe it. And, and there's probably days that I'm one of them in some, some way or another. Okay, there's absolutely hypocrites in the church. Are there people who offend others in the church? Absolutely. But I guarantee you this, I will defend the church to my dying day. I don't care what other people think of the church. The church is the body of Christ. And no matter what you think, my son, I was talking with my son one day, we were on a long trip. And, uh, you know, we were kind of going back and forth on some things and he was asking me some things and he was saying, yeah, but what about this and what about that? And, you know, God, he didn't do that. And what about this in my life? And, you know, I, I came back at him every single time. And he finally he said, man, you really do love Jesus, dad, don't you? 
I said, yes, <laughs> I do. In case you can't tell, I'll defend him and I will defend the church and I will defend our people. And so uh, having that mindset, yeah, it, it frustrates me. You know, I, I want to say, well, you know, who, who feels that way? Give me an example of that. Tell me who feels that way. But you want to know something? The truth of the matter is, in the book of Peter, Peter makes a statement, and some of you will be familiar with this. He says that judgment begins in the house of the Lord, in the church. Judgment begins in the church. So when you hear a statement like that, do you react like I did initially and want to lash out and, and, and talk about people? Or is it something where you would look internally, even if the shoe doesn't fit you personally, is it, is it something that you can look internally and say, let me look at my heart. Let me look at what can be improved in the church, even though that hurts and even though that's a brash, bold statement. Instead of lashing out at the people that Jesus loves and is trying to save, no matter how they offend him, maybe I should look within. And I believe the life of Jesus shows us a man who walked the earth, who came from glory, who had everything. He created everything. Through him and by him were all things created. There's nothing that was created that wasn't created through him and by him. Why both through him and by him? Because he is the word of God. He was there in the beginning. He'll be there when it's all over. But he submitted himself to his own creation, allowed his creation to offend him and eventually kill him just so he could win them back. Talk to me, Buddha, Confucius, how many ever gods of Hindus. I'm not talking bad about you, whatever. I'm just stating facts. I'm just stating facts. Jesus came to earth, submitted himself to his own creation. That's how much I love you, Jesus is saying. That's how much I love you. So for just a few minutes today, I want to start off talking about the loving life of Jesus. The loving life of Jesus. We're going to talk about many aspects of his life. And to understand the loving life of Jesus, you must understand how amazing he truly is. And I'll say he truly, he is amazing, but I'm going to use past tense only because we're looking at the context of when he walked the earth. I hope you're with me on that. So I'm not saying that he's not amazing anymore. When I say how amazing he truly was, I'm just talking about the time that he walked the earth. Those 33 odd years, how many ever years they were. Okay. To know how uh, 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 loving he is, we have to understand how amazing he was. You know, amazing is an interesting word. It's used to describe people or places, stories, facts, things that are unbelievable. We can't believe that it happened. And there have been a lot of amazing people like Daniel Tammet. He was an autistic man. He could speak 11 languages. He learned Icelandic in a week. He was amazing. Ben Underwood was blind at the age of three, yet he played basketball, video games, rode a bike until the day he died without a, a, a seeing eye dog. Blind since he was three. That's amazing. I mean, you, you could find people. You could Google people. You could, we could find all kind of amazing people. James Garfield, many of you may not know this. He was the 20th president. He could write in Greek with one hand and Latin with the other hand at the same time. Yeah, he did that. 
That was our 20th president. Amazing. Uh, a donkey can see all four feet at the same time. Even a donkey is amazing. Come on. <laughs> so next time you call me that, remember, I'm, I'm just still amazing. <laughs> but Jesus is the most amazing. Come on. Throughout history. I mean, Mother Teresa, Gandhi, MLK, Alexander Graham Bell, whatever. Out of all these people, Jesus is the most amazing. There's an article in Time Magazine. There used to be these things called magazines a long time ago. That's how we read stuff. Yeah, Forrest remembers, you know. My grandmother had a stack of Time and Life magazines. And uh, in, there was an article. And this man who wrote the article said this. He was not a Christian, by the way. He was doing research on amazing people. People that did amazing things. And he wrote this in his article. He said, it would, it would require much exotic calculation to deny that the single most powerful figure, not merely in these two millennia, but in all of human history, has been Jesus of Nazareth. He's amazing. Even today's date is based on the calculation of his birth, whether you believe in him or not. It's still 2022. People are going around saying it. Amazing. What is amazing? Amazing is something that causes wonder, astonishment, surprise. It inspires awe and admiration. It's something that <gasps> takes your breath away. And I think it's used too much. We say a lot of things are amazing that are really not amazing. I mean, is it really amazing? You know, I mean, it was neat. It was like, wow, that's pretty cool. But I mean, amazing, amazing. The greatest person that has ever crossed the horizons of our globe, Jesus, is amazing. God's son, the centerpiece of civilization, unparalleled, unprecedented, unsurpassed, and unique. He is amazing. And how do we know he's amazing? Because Jesus did some amazing things. He, he showed his love. We're talking about the loving life of Jesus, just that aspect of it. How did he show his love? First of all, he showed his love because he did amazing things to show his love. He had an amazing birth in Matthew chapter 1. John says that uh, Jesus was with the Father in eternity past. He was the creator of all things, yet he left eternity past and he came to us. It's the amazing life of Jesus. He had an amazing birth. Did you know that Matthew's genealogy has 41 names, tracing the line forward in time from Abraham to Joseph? And in Jesus' lineage, it includes four women with questionable backgrounds. Tamar, an ex-harlot. Rahab, an ex-harlot. Ruth, who was a former pagan. Bathsheba, who was an adulteress. And certainly David, who was an adulteress and a murderer. That's the line that he came through. All the way to his birth, grace is seen in his, in his genealogy. Jesus had an amazing birth. He had an amazing baptism. He had an amazing baptism. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist who protested the baptism and said, look, uh, you know, I'm unworthy to baptize you. But Jesus said, well, I must be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And he was publicly identified and anointed. He was established when he was baptized. Jesus would identify with the washing and receiving the oil of the Holy Spirit. And in his amazing baptism, unlike ours, a dove came down from heaven, representing the Holy Spirit and enlightened on him. Talk about being enlightened. Come on. 
the heavens opened, an amazing baptism, and the voice of God spoke at his baptism. Now, I feel like I had an amazing baptism because I, I felt good in my baptism. I mean, I went down, I came back up, I was, I was shouting, it was amazing. People were clapping. Thank goodness that boy got baptized. Lord, I didn't know what was going to happen to him. <laughs> that was amazing. But I didn't hear any voice from heaven. I heard something in my heart. God spoke to me. But I didn't hear, I didn't hear, hear ye. This is my son. Hear him. I am well pleased with him. Anybody else? You might have. Maybe some of you. I don't know. It wasn't me. Jesus had an amazing baptism. He went through an amazing temptation. Oh, yeah, everything about his life was amazing. He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit for 40 days of fasting, no food, no water, a miracle fast. And I know some have done that, but 40 days without food and water, that's a miracle fast. Come on. That's a miracle fast. He did it. He did it. Satan used Scripture to try to confuse him. You're going to confuse Scripture. I don't know if he realized he was Scripture. He's the Word. All right. But he was trying to confuse him. And Jesus rebuked him with, with God-given authority. Satan would tempt Jesus all through his ministry, by the way. And when Satan left, angels came and ministered to him. When's the last time you fasted and you were feeling so bad? Oh, it's been six hours. And I haven't had anything to eat. Lord, you got to show me something. And all of a sudden, angels start coming, ministering to you. You can do it. You can do it. Right? Angels had came and ministered to him. And the purpose of the temptation, watch this, was not to see if he would sin, come on, but to prove that he could not sin. That's what it was for. Jesus knew no sin. He didn't sin. He couldn't sin. That's an amazing temptation he went through. Jesus had some amazing teachings. I mean, uh, years ago, many, many of you may not remember this, but many of you will. Years ago, there used to be this financial firm. Remember this E.F. Hutton? Y'all remember? That when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. And on the commercials, like somebody from E.F. Hutton would start to say something. And everybody was talking and then all of a sudden stopped. Right? Remember that commercial for his old heads? <laughs> or seasoned, a little seasoned. Okay. And, but Jesus, that's, that's the way it was with him. He taught with authority. I mean, his teachings included what? The Sermon on the Mount, uh, right? That's got to be, if not the, one of the greatest teachings for all mankind. I'm going to say it is the greatest teaching of all mankind. The Lord's Prayer is recited around the world. Parables, world-famous parables. His teaching have been the source of thousands of books, poems, plays, and quotes. Jesus Christ, superstar. His teachings were like no other. Christ's teachings are complete in every point from the regulation of thought control to the regulation of the will. His words change you. His words change the atmosphere, not just of a room, because often he didn't teach in a room. He taught outside to the masses. His words changed the atmosphere. People listened. His teachings are inexhaustible. Each generation finds them new and exciting. And for more than 2,000 years, his words have not passed away. Same teaching, same word. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It will never, ever go out of fashion. It will never go out of style. It will remain true.
He had an amazing transfiguration. Come on now. If you've ever read that, if you haven't read that story, read the story in Matthew 17 about the transfiguration. Okay, this is why he was a man, folks, just like you and I. He was transfigured on the top of Mount Hermon with Peter, James, and John. They stood there watching him. His face suddenly shone like the sun. His garments became white as snow. He received two heavenly visitors. Come on, Moses and Elijah. They talked about his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And then God spoke out for everyone to hear. And Peter wrote about it later. That's amazing, an amazing transfiguration. I want to tell you this. Jesus had an amazing death. Jesus had an amazing death. I mean, there, you know, there, there are some people who have died in some cruel ways and in ways we wouldn't wish on anybody. But no one, no one suffered the death that Jesus suffered because your sin was on his shoulder. Every sin you've ever committed was on his shoulders. I would go as far as to say every sin that you will ever commit. Think about it. Let it get down in your spirit. Every sin you'll ever commit, if you commit another sin, was on his shoulders already. Sins you haven't committed yet, he already paid for. Woo! That's amazing. That is amazing. He's the only person to predict his death. Where, when, how. It is a fact that Jesus was not forced to give up his life. If you, if you remember, there's a passage that talked about how they were ready to kill him. He, and he, they was ready to throw him over a cliff. He just walked through the crowd. Who does that? Jesus. Jesus. He just walked through the crowd because it, it wasn't up to them. For God so loved the world that he, come on, gave. He wouldn't die unless he gave his life. That's an amazing death. To the people who witnessed his death, the only thing they could say is, this truly is the Son of God. That's all they could say. Well, if he had an amazing death, he had an amazing resurrection. <laughs> the only one to come back to life for more than just a few minutes. Come on. For more than just a few minutes. Taking all the evidence together, it's not too much to say that there is no historical incident better supported from a variety of sources than the resurrection of Christ. Do your studies on it. Don't just be like the guy in the video who says, I, I, he might have been a person, but I don't think he was the son of God. Well, what, who, who did you talk to? Who, what did you study? Come on, do, do some studying on it. <laughs> he conquered death. He broke the rules of mankind's death, holding us captive. Jesus was dead in body, put in a tomb, buried, sealed, and guarded by unbelievers. He rose from the dead with great evidence. Jesus had an amazing resurrection. And if he had an amazing resurrection, then he had an amazing ascension. Who have you ever seen stand on top of the hill and just go on up? Just, just be lifted up. Just, I'll, I'll see y'all later. I'll be back. I mean, maybe Superman, he's about the only one. Other than him, I don't know who else has done it. Come on. It was an amazing. He was taken up by God's Shekinah glory in, in a cloud up to heaven as the disciples watched. And two heavenly individuals spoke to the disciples. Said, why are you so amazed? Why are you? This same Jesus 
He's coming back. This same Jesus. Now this one, not the one that walked the earth. The one that walked the earth that we're studying today, he won't be back. He won't be back. But it's the resurrected Jesus. That same Jesus, he's coming back. Jesus was an amazing high, he is an amazing high priest now. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father, a high priest who ever makes intercession for us, continually makes intercession for us. He is the God-man in heaven. He knows our weaknesses, our infirmities. He's touched by our needs. Come on, he's the man, God feeling and identifying with us every moment of every day. Everything you go through, he knows it. We can come boldly to the throne of grace because Jesus is full of grace. And as it relates to this amazing life of Jesus and amazing things he's done, he's going to have an amazing second coming. You just wait. But by the time he cracks the sky, if you haven't already given your life, it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. Brother Steve said something to me uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, he was talking about something a little different, but he talked about, you know, it's hard to build a house uh, in the midst of a storm. You know, you, you need to build the house before the storm comes. That's the way it is for our lives. You know, it's, it's hard to call out once Jesus comes. We need to do that ahead of time. He's going to have an amazing second coming. So he did amazing things to show his love. That's the first thing. Thank you for letting me get through my first point. I only got three. Don't worry. Secondly, he did sacrificial things to show his love. Jesus sacrificed. He sacrificed his time. I mean, we could name several passages where he sacrificed his own time. In verse 6 of John chapter 4, one of my favorite books, says that Jesus was wearied from his journey. Okay? And he sat down by the well. This is the story of the woman at the well. He and the disciples were, were traveling. And the Bible says he, he was wearied. The Bible says that he was wearied because he was in a body. He was like you and I. He, the man was tired. He was tired, so he sat down by the well. And here comes a woman in need. But guess who else had a need at that moment? It was Jesus. He needed to rest. Maybe he needed to clear his mind. You might say, well, no, no, no. He was a son of God. Yes, but he was in the body. He had a mind just like you have. He had a brain just like you have. He had a heart just like you have. He had feet, come on, arms, everything just like you. He had a stomach. Well, maybe not. I don't know. But he, he was just like you and I, except for the perfect blood. But he was just like us. So he, he needed, he wanted to just sit down. And here she came. And what do we know? We know that she was a woman. She was a Samaritan. Why is that uh, significant? Because there wasn't me too. There was no me too at that time. There was no equality. And she was, not only was she a woman, but she was a Samaritan. And that's a race with whom Jews did not associate. You know, scripture explains that clearly. We also know that she had five husbands, and the man she currently was with wasn't her husband. Okay? I'm not talking about her. <laughs> we also know from understanding cultural and historical tradition of that time that women typically drew water in groups. Have you ever thought about this? They usually came in groups, historically. 
So, it, because it was often a social occasion when they did it, and the fact that she was drawing water alone at midday probably indicates that she was a social outcast. Nobody wanted to be with her. The more you dig, the more you find that Jesus, a Jew, shouldn't have been talking to this woman. Yet, he gave up his time. He gave up his time for her. Saving her was more important than getting rest and clearing his mind. It was more important to him. The sacrificial love of Jesus. Jesus sacrificed his reputation. Come on. He sacrificed his reputation. Je Jesus, <laughs> you, you know, it's interesting. I think about uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is uh, the woman caught in adultery. Uh, you know, because they caught this woman in adultery, and the Bible says they caught her in the act of adultery. So I don't know what kind of people were peeping toms or what. I don't know what was going on. I don't, I, leave, I don't know what was happening there. They said they caught her in the act of adultery, whatever that means. But and they, 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 they brought her to Jesus. And they recited to him the law of Moses. The law of Moses says someone who commits adultery is to be stoned. That's what the law of Moses says. One thing interesting about that is that <laughs> you look at that. Remember, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. So Jesus is the word, the logos, the second person of the Godhead, the word of God. And think about when Moses got the Ten Commandments and he was writing them down. God was giving him the Ten Commandments. Where was Jesus? Where was Jesus at that time? Say, in the beginning was the word. So he's the word. So what Moses is writing down is the word. He's writing down Jesus. So the Ten Commandments are Jesus. You following me? So thou shalt not commit adultery was Jesus. So thou shalt not commit adultery was standing in front of them. You're quoting the law of Moses to me, but you're quoting me. I'm standing right here. Thou shalt not commit adultery is right here. You're just speaking me. But you know what he did when they said that? He kneeled down and started writing in, in the dirt. As if to say, I, I ain't fooling with y'all. And they kept badgering him. Well, what you going to do about it? See, look, I knew he was like this. I knew this was going to happen. He, he doesn't even have anything to say because what can he say? He doesn't have anything to say. They kept badgering him until he stood up. <gasps> he stood up. And said, the famous, you without sin, cast the first stone. Here's what I never looked at before, never hit me before. As soon as he said, the one without sin cast the first stone, you know what he did? He knelt back down and started writing again. Because he didn't care about it. He wasn't up there. He didn't, he didn't get up to defend himself. To defend his reputation. He didn't care what the people thought about him. Here's the law himself. And they say, you're not even following yourself. But he didn't care what they thought about him. He wasn't trying to protect his reputation. You know whose reputation he did care about? The woman who was caught in adultery. He knelt back down and kept on writing in the dirt. See, it, Jesus said these words. He said, I only do what I see my father do, and I only say what I hear my father say. 
When you only do what you uh, see your father do, and when you only say what you hear your father say, you'll say what God tells you to say, and you can go right on back to doing what you were doing, and people will just begin to leave. Oldest to the youngest. They don't have anything else to say. They just left. Nothing else to say. And then he looked at her and said, woman, where are your accusers? I have none, Lord. The best words I've ever heard in my life are the next words. He said, then I don't accuse you either. Then he made the most impactful statement that you'll ever hear in the Bible. Probably never thought about this. But I believe it's the most impactful statement you'll ever hear. And that is go and sin no more. You want to know why that's most impactful? Because in that statement, there was salvation, forgiveness, mercy, atonement, grace, and a standard to live by. As soon as he said go, that means you're forgiven. You're atoned. Right? There's grace on your life. There's mercy that I've extended to you. And sin no more. Now you have a standard to live by. Don't fall back into it so you not end up here again. Everything was in that statement. Go and sin no more. But it wasn't about his reputation. It was about her reputation. And then finally, Jesus blessed others to show his love. He blessed others to show his love. The very famous, what we call the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. See, these are those who are at the end of their rope. They don't have an answer. But less of you, more of God. He's got all the answers. All you have to do is follow him. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what's most dear to you. Or what you think is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one who is most dear to you. It's about your perspective. It's about your perspective. Blessed are the meek, verse 5, for they shall inherit the earth. You're blessed when you're content with who God made you and your purpose. Because then you will acquire everything that can't be bought or worked for. Everything that can't be bought or worked for. Because we live a life of faith. A life of faith. Come on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. You're blessed because he'll fill you. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. When you genuinely care for others, you will be genuinely cared for. Genuinely. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You're blessed when you get you, you get your inside world taken care of, I'll put it that way, your mind, your heart, when that's purified, then you can see God in everything in the outside world. But too many of us, too many of us have allowed the outside world to conform us. We've believed the lie that we're not overcomers. We've believed the lie that we're not more than conquerors. We believe the lie that we're not valuable. We believe the lie that because we messed up in our past, there's no hope for us. We believe the lie of the enemy, and Jesus said you are more than a conqueror, and it doesn't have anything to do with how you failed yesterday, but everything to do with your faith today. What is your confession? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be the children of God. He didn't say the peacekeepers. 
You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of competing or fighting. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Do you know we are called, all the, the, these words that you're hearing this morning, in part, you, you know, we're called to step out and do more. We're, listen, you're called to be bold. You're called to be a peacemaker, not just a peacekeeper, but a peacemaker. How are you going to do that? Well, the Holy Spirit will let us know. You follow the Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see my father do. And then verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. I hope somebody hears that. Because the persecution drives you into an even deeper relationship and, and, and deeper into God's kingdom. The persecution doesn't do anything but cause you to overcome more. It just makes the unbeliever jealous. And we hope jealous to the, to, to the point where they want what you have. It certainly makes Satan jealous, but his, his, you know, he's, already, he's already spoken for. So his jealousy is just jealousy. <laughs> But you're blessed. Seeing the love that Jesus showed us while he walked the earth gives us a little more perspective and understanding of how he wants us to love. You know, Jesus said this through the apostle John. Chapter 15 of John, verse 12, he said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Let us take heart his example of love and love one another in the same way that he loved us. Now, no one would say that it's not a tall task for our flesh. It's not for your spirit because we're people of faith. It's a tall task for our flesh to do amazing things. And the only way you do amazing things is to allow the Holy Spirit to work through you, to have faith and to speak scripture. Don't speak things contrary of Scripture. I'm talking about healing, deliverance, financial miracles, all of those, all of those things. We have to speak his, we have to believe it in our heart and speak it with our mouth. To, to sacrifice our reputation. That's one of the hardest things in the world to do. Because we all care what people think about us, whether you say it or not. Somewhere in there we do. But Jesus sacrificed his reputation. And then to live a life to bless others. The reason you want to be blessed is so that you can bless others. That's the life that Jesus lived. So let us take heart. Let us use his example, the loving life of Jesus, and love others in the same way that Jesus loved us. Every head bowed.